When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about Orange County, California. Since 1955, it's been home of the happiest place on earth. In Anaheim, you know, Disneyland, Ronald Reagan called Orange County the place where all good Republicans go to die. But there's another Orange County, an Orange County with a history of white supremacy and right-wing power and of people's battles to resist. And that history is told in a wonderful new book, A People's Guide to Orange County. We're joined now by one of the authors, Gustavo Ariano. Of course, Gustavo is an indispensable columnist at the L.A. Times covering, as he says, Southern California, everything, and a bunch of the West and beyond. He previously worked at the late lamented OC Weekly, where he was an investigative reporter for 15 years and an editor for six, and wrote a memorable column called Ask a Mexican. He's also the author of the book Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America, We talked about it here. He describes himself as the child of two Mexican immigrants, one of whom came to this country in the trunk of a Chevy. Gustavo Ariano, welcome back. Gracias as always, John. Well, Orange County, just to review, has a population right now bigger than 21 of the states. It is big. It used to be dominated by conservative Republicans, but Hillary beat Trump there in 2016 and in 2020, Biden beat Trump in Orange County by a lot, 54 to 44%. But we're not going to talk about today's politics in Orange County. We're more interested in history and the places where history happened. Let's start with the most famous place in Orange County, Disneyland, and the happy day in August 1970 when the Yippies went to Disneyland. Well, you would probably remember that more than me, but uh, just because that's, that's you, you know, you wrote that great book, of course, uh, with uh, Mike Davis, uh, talking about uh, all of that era. But what you had was uh, Yippies, Abby Hoffman's group of merry pranksters, except a little bit more uh, prankster than Mary, coming in, deciding we're going to take over Disneyland. We're going to raise a flag and anoint our new king, Pigasus, a pig named Pigasus. And well, you can't do that in uh, early. 1970s Orange County. So until the pandemic hit, Disneyland had only closed two times for 9-11 and for this day where all of Orange County and all of Southern California law enforcement came to Disneyland to Main Street to crack down on the skulls of hippies and yippies. Uh, My favorite moment was when the yippies planted a Viet Cong flag at the top of Tom Sawyer's island. (laughs) <laughs> you got to conquer. You got to conquer, at least for the yippies. You know, they, Disneyland by then was already what it still is today. You know, this place of just such crass commercialism. And it's interesting what we know in our book, you know, along with my co-authors, Elaine Lewinick, I think Elaine wrote that one, and Tuivo Dang, was that 
Disneyland, even though it's such crass commercialism, you still have resistance there. You have the yippies. It turns into a place where you have lawsuits pushing for LGBT rights. In recent years, I think like 40, my colleague Gabriel Saroman, formerly of KPFK, he dug up this stat that something like 40% of the people who go to Disneyland nowadays are Latinos. So Walt Disney is rolling in his cryogenic grave somewhere. <laughs> Moving right along, for anybody who drives north into Orange County from San Diego on the 5 freeway, there uh, the and did have done so in the last couple of decades, the San Clemente Border Control Checkpoint at, at Camp Pendleton is unavoidable and unforgettable. And for years, there was that unusual caution sign that we used to see alongside the freeway just before the checkpoint. Tell us about that. So it's technically yeah in Pendleton. So even though it's called San Clemente, it's not in Orange County, but it's they give it such an Adonai name. It's a border patrol uh, checkpoint. And they basically, when they want to, they could stop all cars and make sure that there's not, quote unquote, undocumented or illegals trying to come in. So before that, there was this notorious piece of California public art via Caltrans. It was a silhouette of a father, a daughter, and a girl with pigtails, a girl being pulled and then running across the board, uh, across the freeway because they, that's what you used to see a lot, especially in the 80s. And if you're not of a family of undocumented or, or of immigrants, you don't care about it. It's just for you, uh, you know, a hassle you have to deal with. But if you're someone like myself, a child of a formerly undocumented person, you don't want to be stopped ever by the Border Patrol. And in, and in Orange County, it took on the significance of, you know, it was a racialized place. Zach de la Rocha, the legendary frontman from Rage Against the Machine, a son of, a son of Orange County, by the way, graduated from University High School in Irvine. He says that one of the ways he got radicalized was one of his teachers at uni high used to refer to that or once referred to that place, uh, the border checkpoint in San Clemente as the wetback station. And that the entire uh, class laughed. And here's Zach, half white, half Chicano, saying how disgusting is that that we're laughing about that? that I mean, but thank you, racist uni high school teacher, because without your stupidity, we wouldn't have rage against the machine. And the, your book reports something I had forgotten about. In the late 1980s, 30 people were killed running across the freeway at that point. Remind us why they were running across the freeway? Because they were trying to come into this country for a better life, just like anyone who's ever come into this country. But they were not allowed into this country without papers because of uh, Reagan cracking down on the border. Eventually ends up passing the amnesty of 86. So I guess that Reagan isn't that bad compared to others, <laughs> which, well, you know, not, not much to be bragging about there. But it was a real sign. So this Border Patrol, uh, not the checkpoint so much, but the silhouette, the Caltrans design, like I— I understand why they did it, but it, it got immediately notorious and it still lives on. They don't, uh, the Caltrans does not have those signs anymore anywhere in, uh, in Southern California, but they still live on this idea that instead of trying to fix our problems, you're just going to tell, uh, you know, the, the transportation agency of the state, like, oh, try to remind people not to run over humans. <laughs> the last of these signs, your book reports now hangs in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C., next to an early printing of the Bill of Rights. Wow, that's incredible. I have a friend, actually, who ripped off one of those uh, Border Patrol checkpoints, so I'm not going to say what friend that is. But, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. They're huge. They're imposing. They're, you know, 
and they just have it there as you know we never forget never forget what this state what this country uh throws down upon undocumented people trying to get a better life well the reason that mexicans were coming to orange county of course for decades was to work to work especially in the orange groves of orange county the men picked the oranges the women worked in the packing plants. Uh, a, a part of Orange County history that not very many people know about is the Citrus War in Anaheim of 1936. Uh, this is part of your book. Yeah, there's still an orange grove uh, near the corner of Harbor and Santa Ana Street, right across the street from the Anaheim Police Department. And everyone knows it. The oranges grow. They drop to the ground. That's that. But that was the site of this citrus war in 1936. So what happened was, you know, height of the Great Depression, 75% of Orange County citrus force, about 3,000 people, they throw down their shears, their bags, and they go on strike. They're trying to form a union. They want higher wages. All the, you know, because they're getting exploited dramatically. My, you know, my great-grandpa and my grandpa, they were in that area. They weren't part of the citrus war, but they definitely worked those orange groves. So what does Orange County decide to do? Again, you get all of law enforcement together. We're talking about the highway patrol. We're talking about the sheriff's department, police departments. Uh, get uh, you know football players from USC with baseball bats chasing around Mexicans, and they just crack down on on this strike. I mean, this strike was long forgotten in the Orange County history books, but it's a very important strike. Kerry McWilliams, a legendary labor, uh, progressive historian, he himself says that he got radicalized in Orange County, and in his book uh, was I think it was Southern California country, the most famous one, or it might have been the other one, uh, factories in the field, he said what was going on in Orange County with the orange groves was, uh, and specifically when um, they rounded up all these strikers, was fascism in practice. Those are his exact words. He was there to see it. He himself writes about how he saw his former classmates from USC uh, you know, uh, making, forcing Mexicans around like they were Nazi guards at a concentration camp. And closer to the present, there was a lot of uh, direct action protest at another legendary uh, Orange County location, the San Onofre Nuclear Plant. You can't miss it when you're driving down the five. The construction began there, I believe, in the late 60s of a nuclear power generating station, and it was expanded in the 70s, and the protest movements against its presence also expanded in the 70s. Yeah, this is a place, of course, a nuclear power station Back in the days, put in a place where, oh, even if there's a meltdown, no one will die. Well, Orange County kept growing and growing and growing. So it's not that far off from like the southernmost city, San Clemente. But more importantly, it's nuclear power, nuclear power, power, something that its advocates say is like incredible and life saving. But we all know it has a half life of what, half a million years or something like that. So you had a lot of people protesting outside the gates, getting arrested, trying to jump into the gates. And those protests eventually worked. The new, the, you know, the, the acronym for it is SONGS. So SONGS finally shut down last decade. And now there's a long, long process of trying to uh, disassemble it. And where are you going to, you know, take all those uh, spent rods? And, you know, that's it's still an issue that's happening. But you want to talk about a place where the insurmountable can actually happen? It's Orange County where, you know, you have a lot of – Orange County gets – all the notoriety for the conservatives of the past. But what our book tries to show is that resistance not only happens, but eventually, most of the times, it wins. It wins. 15,000 protesters at the biggest demonstration at San Onofre 
Right now, there's 3.6 million pounds of radioactive nuclear waste <laughs> stored on the site in thinly walled canisters 100 feet from the ocean. This is a tsunami zone. It's near two earthquake faults and is within 50, 50 miles of more than 8 million residents. I have a friend who's buying a house in Laguna right now, and one of the yeah. things that the seller has to disclose is that there's a nuclear power plant 20 miles down the road. That's part of the real estate law in Orange <laughs> County now. You must disclose the risk of living in Orange County because of the San Onofre plant. Well, I'm in Anaheim, so I don't have to worry about that <laughs> nuclear power plant exploding one day. Well, closer to you in Orange is a, is a place that almost nobody knows about, the Ice Detention Center in Orange. It's called the Theo Lacey Detention Center. You know something about this. Yes, this is something that I, we used to cover extensively when I was at OC Weekly. So Theo Lacey is the name of the official jail in Orange County, named after a former, the first sheriff of Orange County, Theo Lacey. And as the prisoner population, as the jail population started to drop down, you had a lot of local jails figure, well, we have empty cells. We need to make money off of this. So let's start housing and doc, you know, uh, people arrested by ICE in our facilities. This happened at the Theo Lacey facility. This happened at the Santa Ana jail as well. Basically, you know, in Orange County, of course, being long a very xenophobic place, it uh, the, the process started off pretty smooth. But in the past, in this century, and so in the past 20 years, you've really had a huge movement of youth, of undocumented youth and allies saying, we're not going to take this anymore. Not only are we're not going to just protest anymore either. We're going to do media to expose the sham and the abuses that are happening in these jails. We're going to get with uh, like the ACLU and other lawyers to be able to do lawsuits and targeted slowly but surely the eradication of these sorts of agreements. So again, the Theo Lacey facility, a place of shame, but eventually a place of resistance that ended up getting to a better place for everyone involved. And another key Orange County location that has been crucial in the transformation of Orange County over the last 30 years uh, came in 1975 when refugees from the Vietnam War arrived in Orange County. They were housed when they first arrived at a Tent Village at Camp Pendleton. Right now, it's closed to the public, only open if you have military credentials. But tell us about the history of re refugee housing at Camp Pendleton. Yeah, this was a place where, uh, you know, after the Vietnam War, after we bombed the country to smithereens, you have a lot of refugees. Uh, you know, for the Marines, that was a quickest place to land all these refugees. You had these tent cities, tens of thousands of people landing up there. And the idea, at least the ostensible idea with any refugee resettlement in the United States, they want to spread them all across the country for, you know, for reasons known only to them. Basically, they don't want people to keep the ways of the old country. But Pendleton is just down the five freeway from uh, Orange County. Eventually, you had a lot of these refugees end up in what's now known as Little Saigon. So the cities of Westminster and Garden Grove, mostly, with also pockets in Fountain Valley and Santana. And there was one church in particular from Garden Grove, St. Anselm's. I believe it's an Episcopal church. But they helped out in resettling a lot of these refugees. They ended up in that area of Orange County because you still had a lot of strawberry fields. You still had a lot of cheap housing. And you also had uh, you know, a lot of opportunities for these Vietnamese. So because of this proximity and because of the organizing of these Vietnamese refugees, now you have in Little Saigon the largest uh, population of Vietnamese in the world outside of Vietnam in Orange County. And the other recent immigrants to Orange County – 
uh, have been Muslims. Uh, your book has a wonderful section uh, on uh, a an institution, I guess we can call it, called Taco Trucks at Every Mosque. <laughs> this is sort of your territory. <laughs> That's my, this is my good friend, Rida Hamida. Rida, uh, born and bred, uh, Palestinian in Anaheim, loves tacos, loves uh, her Islamic faith, and then here comes President Trump uh, maligning Muslims and Mexicans and specifically taco trucks or taco salads at every corner. So she connects with a fr another friend of mine, Ben Vasquez. He is longtime board member of another organization that we highlight in People's Guide to Orange County, the Centro Cultural, Cultural de Mexico, which I argue the whole everything progressive in Orange, almost everything progressive in Orange County in the past 20 years can be traced back to the Centro. And so this is one of the things. Uh, Rida and Ben say, well, how can we get our two communities together? Well, we love mosques. Well, we love tacos. Everyone loves tacos. So uh, Rida and Ben, they hired a taquero to make tacos for free. Um, and, so, you know, using halal meat, halal beef and halal chicken. So, it, you know, everyone wants free food. So you would have these Islamic services. After that, here you get catered. And it's not in the book because it was too late. But in, last year, Rida extended that to have tacos at a mosque and free COVID vaccinations. So Rida is just one of the great stories of Orange County, just one of many stories that we tell in our book. The book is A People's Guide to Orange County. The authors are Elaine Lewinick, Tuivo Dang, and our man, Gustavo Ariano. Gustavo, thank you for speaking with us today. Gracias as always, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.